Hello and welcome to the Battle Line Podcast, where we have conversations on that collision of space between community, faith, and culture. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Satterley, and here with me today is the National Director of Publications, my co-host on this podcast, co-host in life, Major Jamie Satterley. Major Jamie, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Pumpkin spice lattes back at Starbucks. So that's right. There's a chill in the that, air. That time of year. That's right. The UGG <laughs> boots have come on. Uh, not for me, but for uh, not for me either. But <laughs> we also Elizabeth, have. Do you have UGGs? I do have UGGs. Nice. <laughs> they're from middle school, but they are still around. Listen, still going strong. Shout out to UGGs for that. You wear uh, the yeah. same size shoe that you wore in middle school. Size 10, <laughs> double digits. <laughs> well, she introduced herself, but we also have with us our co-host and producer, one who makes this whole thing work. Elizabeth, how are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm so super swell. <laughs> Rocking those middle school boots. Awesome. Woo-hoo. All right. I'm excited about today's episode. Uh, you know, Salvation Army uh, does quite a lot of work in disaster response, um, not just here in America, but all across the globe. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, what disaster ministry looks like, uh, specifically what's kind of taking place right now uh, in those responses in Haiti um, with Afghanistan um, and the refugees, uh, Hurricane Ida, uh, even I think some wildfire response is going on right now. Uh, so we're just going to take a look at, at what's happening in emergency disaster services today, um, but also kind of how that got started for the Salvation Army. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you, Major Jamie, for introducing this. So um, listeners, before we start, we're going to ask you a quiz, sort of. Where do you think disaster services got started? Take a th- moment, think it over. Where did you think that disaster services got started? Now, we have it written down on our paper, so we have the answers, which we're going to give to you here. But I can't speak to what happened internationally, but nationally in the United States, we would say that disaster services sort of started in Galveston, Texas in the year 1900. Major Jamie, Elizabeth, do you know what the national natural disaster was that that took Galveston out in 1900? I do. Do you want me to say? Yeah, go for you, it. Okay. It was a hurricane. Yep. It was a hurricane. Unnamed because they weren't naming them back then. But in uh, September of 1900, uh, a hurricane hit Galveston, Texas and completely destroyed the place, completely destroyed the island, uh, killed 5,000 people. Wow. And um, But the national commander at the time was a dude named Frederick Booth Tucker, and he just said, hey, Salvationist officers, soldiers, anybody who's in the area, can you go down there and just help? And they did. And so that's sort of the unofficial um, beginning of the Salvation Army's disaster work is going down to Galveston in the after, uh, uh, aftermath of that hurricane and, and helping out down there, which I think is just sort of what the Salvation Army does, right? Even today, if there's hurricanes and things, the Salvation Army just shows up. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we talk about Hurricane Ida relief. And then the official beginning of the disaster work sort of, you know, if Galveston was unofficial, the official one happened in San Francisco in April of 1906. Uh, Elizabeth, Major Jamie, you want to guess what the disaster was that happened in San Francisco? Was it an earthquake? It was, correct. Yep. It was an earthquake that struck one of the worst ones that's ever hit the city, as I believe, uh, that hit San Francisco in April of 1906. The national commander was one Evangeline Booth, who, you know, you know the stories of Evangeline Booth, who was like, let's go. Like yes. she, she, she was, was on the, the ball. Uh, the human embodiment of Lego. All right. So she went and... Um, 
that's officially where sort of disaster work started. Now, I didn't know this because we wanted to talk – we wanted to, to have a conversation about what the Salvation Army is doing with Hurricane Ida. But we also wanted to talk about what the Salvation Army is doing internationally with some disasters. So did you know – pardon me – that there is a desk, an officer, an office at international headquarters in London, England – that oversees uh, international disasters. Now, when I say overseas, let's, I'll give it to you like this. There was an earthquake in Haiti um, that we're going to talk about. So what happens is when there's an earthquake or a tsunami or a typhoon or something around the world, IHQ will ask that territory after it's over, how are things going? What do you need? Is this disaster big enough to need international help? And then that Affected territory will talk to IHQ, and then IHQ, uh, I mean, will say, yes, we need some help. And then IHQ will send out the word to all the other territories in the uh, Army world saying, hey, like, this place needs help. Haiti, right, is where they're communicating right now. And then the word goes out to the United States, to Canada, to Western Europe, Eastern Europe, all Australia, all over the world saying, hey, can, can we help with that? So I think it's pretty cool uh, how we have something already in place to set up with global disasters. So if like it had been a small event, like a flood, you know, in like Switzerland or something like that, they can say, no, we've got this. We're covered. And they go from there. All right. What do you guys think about that setup? I mean, it's smart. That way you don't have, you know, every territorial commander across the world trying to call that one person. It makes sense that, you know, hey, this 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 one guy is going to be the one who calls and does the check. I say one guy. I don't know. It may be a lady. But this no, one person you. is the one who uh, is going to call. And that way, it relieves also the burden on the person in the affected country. Because that leader already has their hands full trying to you know, do everything. They can't take 674,000 phone calls. Um, and they don't want to. They're, they're serving and they're busy doing what they need to do there. So it makes sense that there's this is that one this one guy. That's your job. For sure. Like the simple game of telephone. Do you remember that? Uh, where like, you know, uh, the message changes from person to person. Or when you built the telephone with two Dixie cups and a string, you just want a simple line of communication. And so IHQ takes over that simple line of communication uh, with the affected territory. So like Major Jamie said, you don't have 38. I don't know how many territories there are in the world. I'm just going to say 38. I'm just throw that out there. All right. I'm making up a number there of people <laughs> I saying. I think that's low. <laughs> of people calling and saying, hey, how can we help? And we have also learned, and I think all of you know, in times of disaster, like communication is key in all things in life, folks. Let's, let's learn a lesson from Uncle Matt. In all things that we do, communication is key, but also simplicity of communication is key. All right, well, let's talk about what the Salvation Army is doing in Haiti with the earthquake. All right. So here's what these these information came from the Salso Department here at National Headquarters. Salso stands for Salvation Army World Service Office, right? Right. Oh, oh, oh uh, you're right. Office. Office. So <laughs> Salso, um, and they handle uh, not only just disaster things around the world, but just helping out with mission projects all over the world. It's an incredible thing. I think we have to have them on the episode, throw it on the list of people that we need to talk to one day. So the earthquake happened in Haiti. The Right now, the, the disaster relief is taking being taken care of by Haitian salvationists only, which is amazing. Local Salvation Army personnel on the ground helping. Now, last count, there were 12 core 12 Salvation Army Corps buildings that were uh, significantly affected because of the earthquake, structural damage, and three 
Salvation Army run schools, uh, which have been been affected as well. I believe these are in. Now I'm going to try to pronounce these in Haitian Creole. So all my Haitian friends out there, please don't come for me. All right, Akin and Lazil and Coyote uh, have had uh, are the three army schools that are that are significantly affected structural damage. And what do we do? How do we help them? All right. So uh, right now, the Haitian Salvationists, as soon as the earthquake happened, they came out and they were helping w- immediately with food, tarps. Those are things we don't think about, right? Like tarps uh, when your roof is gone, basic equipment to cook. That's something that was needed there for sure. And that was all being done by Haitian Salvationists, which I love so much, right? Like how Salvationists helping people in their country, in their community. And so uh, they're also doing a long-term assessment. So not only are we helping with short-term stuff like cooking and all that, we're doing a long-term assessment. How do we do repairs and rebuild? And that's what I have here in my hands. You can't see this, listeners. Um, but I, uh, I was copied on an email that I had from Sosso about how much it's going to cost in U.S. dollars to repair these schools. So we're looking about uh, almost $300,000 to replace uh, – to to fix up these army schools. Um, I always forget that we run schools around the world. Yeah. It's, it's not something that we do. That's one of the beautiful things about the army, right? Is that we are able to tailor the mission to what is needed in that locale here in America. We have a a public school system. And so it's not needed in the way that it is um, in places around the world, but there are many, many countries around the world where the Salvation Army is running school programs. Kids are coming to school and getting education at Salvation Army facilities. Um, oftentimes, um, you know, these are places that are, are providing not just education, but food and clothing needs, um, you know, all these kind of things. And so it's great that the Salvation Army is able to meet the need that is specific to that location. Yeah, for sure. And another great thing that we do with Disaster is we also partner with other organizations, with businesses. The Salvation Army has partnered with UPS because UPS, you know, has the ability to fly pretty much anywhere in the world to deliver packages. Well, as soon as the earthquake happened, the Florida division of the Salvation Army has a disaster warehouse because of all the hurricanes that happened there. They were able to send what they had immediately. They were able to get that over on a UPS airplane. And that was flown by UPS into Haiti to drop off MREs, tarps, the basic equipment to uh, cook and things like that. So uh, what a great partnership. Which is always a concern. For sure. Um, And I wanted to talk for a quick moment here about Gifts in Kind. I talked to this uh, over with uh, Bram Bailey, one of the directors over at Salso. Um, Because I was saying, like, how can people help? How can our listeners help if they want? And, you know, this might be some shock to people, but... um, Funds, you know, money, fundraising is more important. Funds are more important in times of disaster than than giving out gifts in kind. Now, gifts in kind could be like food, clothing, tarps, and stuff like that. Now, that stuff is important, right? For sure. We just saw that. And appreciated. And appreciated. And appreciated. The heart is good. The Florida division is there, you know, to give like tarps and all this stuff and flown over. Um, But what's needed, and, and, and Bram was telling me this, which I love, funds are needed because it helps the army. It helps disaster relief people. It helps people buy locally, which helps save the economy in affected places as well. Like we, we, we think that, you know, we just send all this stuff in, but people need to get back to work. Jobs need to be going and the economy needs to, to keep going in these local places. That's how, that's how things are stabilized and rebuilt. 
And so uh, I never really thought about that. Like, I know it is nice to be sending money, but the economy in most of these affected places is just as important uh, to, to be stabilized. Uh, what do you think, Major Jamie Elizabeth? No, I think it makes sense. And again, like those those things like like Florida putting generators and tarps and all that on the plane helps, um, you know, in in case things are running out or in those early days when you're just trying to get things going, especially what the Salvation Army is setting up their incident commands. You need those kind of things to get your teams going. Um, But yes, of course, we want um, I mean, we've seen it here in America in the own pandemic crisis. Stabilizing the economy is uh, a vital part of of getting the country back on its feet, um, and so whenever you can buy local, shop local, support local, um, that that plays a vital part in making sure that the economy is stabilized. I mean, there's lots of reasons for sure. Like the money that is sent to Haiti is liquid, right? So the Haitian Salvation Army can use it to get immediately what they need right there. And it, again, we talks about it helps with the economy. The problem with global disasters is sometimes we send stuff. You have to think about customs, right? Like they're still having to pay to get things out of customs. And then even stateside, and we're going to talk a little bit about this when we talk about Hurricane Ida. Like we've been on times of disaster when people have very good hearts and they send a semi-truck full of clothing, right? And again, we appreciate the heart, but man, when a semi-truck rolls up with clothes and you're trying to feed people and there's this truck driver or these people saying, where do you want me to put these clothes? Like that's a logistical nightmare that has to be thought through. Yeah. You Um, have to think about storage space and then someone has to sort all of that into sizes so that it can get to people. Um, So it just presents extra challenges. And again, um, you know, we appreciate all of those things. We appreciate the heart behind it. And sometimes people, I think, are just like, you know, this is what I have. I want to give right. what I have. Um, and we, which it's is not a, something we would ever want to discourage. Um, but it does present extra challenges. Like you said, you have to have a place to store it. And particularly, um, you know, depending on where the disaster is, those kind of locations are hard to come by. Finding, a, especially if you think about like Haiti, where so many buildings collapsed or were damaged. Where do you store that stuff? And so, you know, money sits in the bank and then, you know, you can use that to then purchase what you need as you need it. You're not worrying about storing. You're also not worrying about things, you know, getting damaged or expiring or, you know, all those kind of things where particularly depending upon the weather, um, if it's, you know, super hot, if things are perishable, all that kind of stuff you can buy as you need versus trying to store, keep fresh, protect goods. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with food, like, like Major Jamie was just saying, like sometimes, especially in global disasters, like people want to give, have a heart, a great heart and they want to send food. But like sometimes other cultures have no idea how to cook the stuff that we eat in America. Right. Or, or like, I mean, it's you think against about their it. cultural norms to eat those particular things. For and sure. we just don't, those are things I just don't, I, I don't know what they I mean, can and won't. You know, a, people are hungry, they'll eat anything, but sometimes there are not stigmas, but but there are like, you know, cultural rules and norms that go along with these things. And as a Southerner, I eat grits with cheese and butter. But I imagine <laughs> if I sent grits overseas in times of disaster, they would be like, what is this? I mean, even if you sent grits to Canada, they might be like, what is a, what is a grit? <laughs> Listen, if I sent grits to the North United States, people would be like, uh, how do you, what is this? All right. Yeah. And again, like people are hungry, they'll eat it. But uh, two, in in times of disaster, when everything is already out of control, sometimes you want things that are 
comforting and familiar. Your whole life is turned upside down. And so if you're, you know, if you're able to eat something that is recognizable and familiar to you, that's just an added layer of comfort to your soul, right? Yeah, for sure. Food is comforting to my soul. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. So um, when you see, you know, organizations and when you see the Salvation Army and think like there's a hurricane and our typhoon on the other side of the world or, or a hurricane, Ida, which we'll talk about, or an earthquake in Haiti. And you see people saying, hey, can you send funds? That's legit the best thing that you can do, because just to sum it up again, it, it's a liquid asset. It makes it possible for the need to be met. And it's not a logistical nightmare of having to find can openers and uh, finding a place to store this where it's out of the sun. All right. Anything else about Haiti? All right. Let's move on to Afghanistan. All right. The Af- Afghanistan refugee uh, crisis. So do you know that there is no Salvation Army, official Salvation Army presence in Afghanistan? Afghanistan is one of the countries that we are not in. We're in over 130 countries, but... Um, Middle East, uh, Central Asia; those are those are tough areas for the Salvation Army to uh, to make inroads in politically, of course. Um, but we are in Pakistan. There is a Pakistan territory of the Salvation Army, which neighbors Afghanistan for sure. So when the Af- Afghanistan uh, evacuations, a uh, refugee thing happened, the national commander, Commissioner. Kenneth Hodder here at, in Alexandria put in immediate phone calls. We we have an office here at NHQ uh, for public policy, led by Major David Davis, who is constantly speaking to leaders across the Potomac River in Washington D.C. Salvation Army's here, trying to continue, always trying to set up meetings with senators, representatives, congressmen, anybody who will just talk uh, to the Salvation Army, just to make those relationships, those partnership things happen. And so one of those relationships had happened with the general. In Washington, so immediately when Afghan uh, Afghanistan stuff was happening, the national commander got on the phone and was speaking to the general uh, in Washington. But while again the Salvation Army is not on the ground in Afghanistan, we were able to meet Afghan refugees when they came to the refugee delivery centers. So those were being set up in ar- army bases around the United States, but also around the world: Germany, Italy, Greece, places like that. And the Salvation Army is there. Uh, helping people. Now you have to understand, you, you just can't fly from Kabul, Afghanistan and land in Baltimore, Maryland and hop off the plane and walk off. It doesn't work like that. There's a system that the government has set up for COVID tests, security measures. There's a system and the Salvation Army is meeting people as they get off the plane and uh, helping them through the system. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So it's not so much they're right now not getting settled. It's getting them through that that waiting period, that transition period as they're waiting to be not released. Release isn't the word because they're not held captive, but as they're waiting to exit that system system, coming into the thing and then before they move out um, into regular society. Uh, the army is there. This is a different sort of assistance that the Salvation Army is doing different from Haiti. While Haiti is immediate needs, food, tarps, basic instruments to cook, the government's taking care of that for Afghan refugees. What's happening is housing placement, social services, you know, all these things that, that the Salvation Army is doing yeah, long Some immediate supplies, uh, supplies like diapers and right. those kind of things. And, you know, uh, this is two quick awesome facts about Afghanistan that I think is just amazing. Number one, um, the Salvation Army has been helping 
Afghan refugees since the Soviet invasion in December 1979. Now, if you guys don't know what that is, millennials and Gen Z out there, look, Wikipedia, read about it because world <laughs> history is fascinating, right? So the Soviets, uh, the Soviets, if you don't know what the Soviets are, you need to Google that first. All right. They invaded Afghanistan in 1979. There were lots of Afghan refugees who who then ran across uh, to Pakistan. And the Salvation Army was there in 1979. This is not a new thing for us. All right. Somebody do the math real quick. 1979 to 2021. I don't know how many years that is that we've been helping out. 42. There it is. Man, that's why I'm you're brilliant major so but it was actually the the soviet invasion of afghanistan a- afghan refugee thing was one of the first projects that saso ever did so saso's one of their first projects was helping out afghan and even now they're helping out Af- afghan refugees through that the second cool thing is the salvation army national headquarters is is working on a partnership with is developing a partnership with islamic world relief now we are working together to try to have a partnership so that the Islamic World Relief would be willing to help the Salvation Army make inroads into those places that we just mentioned that we're not able to usually get to. You know, the Salvation Army is 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 looked at almost wary a little bit with uh, the Middle East and things like that and those parts of the world because of our message of Jesus Christ. But partnering with Islamic World Relief helps us uh, just begin to have a relationship. That's where we're at. Communication is key, right? And so beginning to help us have those places. Now that partnership is, there's nothing to report more on more than that. That's just developing. The first meeting happened the other day. Conversations are happening, but we look forward to seeing where that goes uh, in the future. And just to wrap up Afghanistan, before I throw it to you, Elizabeth and Major Jamie, if you have anything else you want to talk about Afghanistan, the, the Pakistan territory and the Italy and Greece territory of the Salvation Army are the ones that are on the front, on the front lines at those Afghan refugee centers um, helping out. And also here in the United States, I know uh, uh, at the Army bases, uh, some stuff's been happening. But So the Salvation Army is helping um, not on the ground in Afghanistan, but in Pakistan and in the Afghan refugee delivery centers. Uh, let's wrap up by talking something about closer to home. So you know Hurricane Ida slammed into uh, Louisiana uh, a few weeks back. And you also remember that it also tore up the Northeast when it came through uh, and dumped rain all over Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, uh, and up that way. So um, as of today, there are 41 canteens, med- uh, mobile feeding units. They look like food trucks. We call them canteens in the Salvation Army. There are 41 canteens on site uh, there in, around the New Orleans area in Gonzales, Louisiana. Um, again, another great partnership. We partnered with Walmart to have a tent feeding center for two days. People came through this uh, Salvage Army slash Walmart feeding center, and we fed 2,000 people in two days, which is uh, amazing. There's also, so there's an incident command uh, set up in, in Louisiana, but there's also incident command set up in the Eastern Territory because of all the flooding and all the thing that happened in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and, and New York and all these places. Because we always kind of think about that. We Once a hurricane hits, we kind of just go, eh, it's over. But man, it still packs a wall up around, around the country as it comes through, dumping rain. So again, as of today, nearly 300,000 meals have been served um, off Salvation Army uh, units or Salvation Army partnerships because of uh, Hurricane Ida. And here's one of my favorite stats. We've had uh, near nearly almost 12,000 like 
for lack of a better phrase, I'm going to say God conversations that have come up that, uh, yeah, it's emotional and spiritual care. So, you know, obviously these are traumatic events, um, and people are hurting and sometimes they just need, um, someone to listen, um, and to offer, you know, a prayer if requested, um, or just a word of encouragement. Um, and so the Salvation Army is there to do that. To not just it's not just about handing out goods or handing out supplies. It's also about providing just you know somebody to listen, somebody to to give a hug, so so that they know somebody hears me, somebody sees me. And so it's it's emotional care, spiritual care, not just care for physical needs. Right. The worst thing to do is walk into a disaster and be like, like. It'll be all right. You know, God loves you, which is fine. It's fine to say God loves you, but not uh, just almost a shallow, just like, you know, a Band-Aid over a real wound. So these emotional and spiritual care people come in and just listen, just listen, let people talk, tell their story and, and um, you know, as needed, point them to Jesus because, uh, I mean, everybody needs Jesus, of course, but as the conversation goes, uh, sometimes it's just simply being a listening ear. For sure. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't It doesn't even go in a religious d- direction. For sometimes sure. it does as conversations become available, but that's not a um, required thing or even something that, that has to happen in order to get disaster help. It's just there if people want it. For sure. So 12,000 seeds of the gospel have been planted, for sure. And many more than that. Those are just the conversations that we've counted. Just us being there, feeding people— in seeing the practical hands. That's why we're there. That's why we do what we do because in times of disaster and not even, even when the sun is shining and the grass is green and there's, uh, you know, wonderful things going on. The Salvation Army is there feeding people, housing people every single day. Why? Because we're showing people the love of Jesus and we do that with our practical service. So last thing, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, it just always makes me think of uh, good old Mr. Rogers. Uh, Mr. Rogers, you know, said uh, one time that his mom used to say, when the when the news is scary, look for the helpers. And I always think of that when I think about the Salvation Army. You know, it's scary. Your whole life feels like it's turned upside down. But when you see that Salvation Army canteen or that Salvation Army red disaster vest or the uniform, you know, okay, help is here. There's someone to listen, someone uh someone to help. And before we get to the end here on how you can help, I just want to say this. The Salvation Army is in these places before the disaster happens, right? We have been in Haiti before the earthquake happened. We have been in New Orleans and Louisiana before all this happens. And here's what's awesome. The Salvation Army doesn't leave. We will continue to serve the Lord in these places long after people have forgotten about Hurricane Ida. The Salvation Army is still there in Louisiana, still doing what it does, still ministering to people. The Salvation Army will remain in Haiti and will stay there long after people have completely forgotten about this earthquake. And while we're not in Afghanistan, we're right there next door in Pakistan. And the work that is done at these refugee centers will uh, hopefully be remembered. And maybe the door, maybe the Lord is is using this in some ways to open doors for us, for sure. Yeah, the um, yeah, it's one of the great things about, um, especially Salvation Army's presence in America, where we cover just about every zip code across the nation. Uh, is like you said, when whether a disaster hits suddenly, that's unexpected, and sometimes we we call them disasters. They're not just natural disasters. Sometimes they're man made things, like with what happened in nine eleven. Mm, um, that's good mass point. shootings. Good point. Um, 
house fires, those kind of kind of those kind of things. Um, the Salvation Army, because we already have a presence there, is able to be there in the immediate uh, in the immediate moments. Right after it doesn't take us multiple days. The bigger teams, for sure, it takes a little time to get them into place. But when we're there at the very beginning, they're able to just make it happen. There are the Salvation Army has systems in place that helps with this. If your unit is one that has a canteen, um, there's a canteen stock list that they say, you know, we keep these things on our canteens at all times. So as soon as the disaster happens, we don't have to take time to go to the store. All we have to do is turn the canteen on and and drive to where the where we're needed. Each unit tries to have, you know, a local team identified. So again, uh, when something happens, all you have to do is get on the phone and say, hey, it's time. Uh, and, and people get to where they need to go. Then depending on the size of the disaster, um, you do have other personnel like with Ida, um, where they deploy teams from around the country to come down, bring their canteens, set up incident commands, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but because we're already in that place and we're already prepared, we can just jump into action at a moment's notice. That's an incredible segue. Major Jamie, thank you for helping. What can we do to help? What can I do? What can you do? So Major Jamie mentioned it. I wasn't going to, but she brought it up. Let's, let's mention it up first. You can go to the website, uh, www.disaster.salvationarmyusa.org www.disaster.salvationarmyusa.org. That'll give you all the updated uh, immediate news of what the Salvation Army is doing nationally to help with disaster and a little bit of international stuff as well. But you can donate on there, which again, we talked about funds are uh, money. Cash is liquid assets that can be helped to meet with whatever is needed immediately. It's able to do the most good um, financially in the moment. It helps with the economy and it helps keep people in jobs, but it also helps us be able to, to or any organization to be able to just say, here's what's needed now, go and buy it. While food and clothing drives are important, and the heart is good. Sometimes they cause logistical problems that people didn't. The people who sent them just didn't mean for there to be there. All right. If, so, yeah, if you if you've never worked in disaster before, those are just things that you don't think about. You know, if you've not if you've not had that experience, you're you're unaware of those things. And again, their heart the heart behind it is good and appreciated. Um, and I will say, uh, if if you're concerned at all, uh, to put your concerns aside, when you donate towards a disaster, um, you designate what disaster it's going to, you click the donate button on that website that says for Hurricane Ida, that money goes directly there, all right? It goes straight there. You don't have to worry about, you know, things being taken off for other stuff. It all goes directly to its designated disaster place. Um, and so you can rest assured um, that when you donate through the Salvation Army to a disaster, the money is going to that disaster. For sure. And then also, uh, Major Jamie said, personnel. If you go to that website, you can find a training course near you where you can be trained on uh, the to be a, a disaster volunteer who can help on the mobile feeding units, uh, the food trucks, or can help in other ways. Now, again, it's getting harder and harder in the world we live in to just, you just can't grab somebody and be like, jump on this truck. You're going to go with me for two weeks and help out because obviously you're serving food. You People need to be trained on how to use the kitchen safely, healthy, not health violations, of course. So like there's usually a serve safe course or something like that. So there are also child safety courses because, sure. you know, again, when you're serving um, families and those things, we want to make sure that, that everybody um, is trained. 
um, and child child safety and vulnerable adult safety. Um, but then also, if, if you're going to be um, one of the people who is doing that emotional and spiritual care, there are training courses available for that as well. Um, and so I would just suggest that you contact your local Salvation Army, um, you know, ask to speak to whoever's in charge of the disaster response at that unit uh, and express your desire to volunteer. They can help you. Um, you know, they'll, they'll meet you and interview you and um, help you get trained so that at the, ne- the next response, you can be there yep. and available. And they're going to probably lead you to that website. I'll say it one more time. www.disaster.salvationarmyusa.org. And I want to throw this last one out there. If you're interested about what the Salvation Army is doing overseas, uh, you can look at the SASO website. Again, I think we got to get the director of SASO in here just because it's probably, maybe it's one of our best kept secrets. It's not something that you hear a lot about, but the Salvation Army is doing fantastic work around the world because of the money that, obviously, you know that the United States is one of the wealthier countries in the world and we are able to help out our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world where maybe logistically funds are tighter. Um, so you that website www.sawso.org S-A-W-S-O.org. I'm gonna ask Elizabeth maybe we can put these websites in the show notes somehow so you can find them. Um, yeah, there's, right. there's so many great projects that are happening there in Sawso and you're right it would be a, a, a fantastic conversation but everything from micro loans uh, for women entrepreneurs, like you said, th- there are various schools, various hospitals, all kinds of fascinating work that happens across the world. Um, and when you give to Sasso, um, that money goes directly over there to help them. They also um, are building into those projects sustainability plans so that they're not um, completely reliant upon gifts, um, but they become self-sustaining. So those are part of the projects, you know, helping them to reach those self-sustaining goals. So it's a, a lot of great, fascinating work that happens in there. For sure. Ma'am, I got a million opinions we could share on that too, um, but we'll have to leave that for another day. So check out those websites. Um, be in prayer for Haiti, Afghanistan, just because you know the news changes. The next news cycle comes out and sometimes we just forget about it stuff. Just make, write, make a note, put it on your prayer list just to be in prayer for Haiti, Afghanistan, uh, the wildfires out in the West. Uh, gosh, I mean, there was just an earthquake the other day in Mexico that we never really hear about. Um, and then, of course, Hurricane Ida and all that stuff. All right, um, Major Jamie, you want to ask us our last question of the day as we get ready to wrap up this episode? Absolutely. So we're going to move into our uh, question. We ask every episode, what is bringing you joy? And all this craziness, chaos of the world today, what is giving you joy? Elizabeth, you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Y'all mentioned Ugg boots, and that took me back to my homeland, which is the land of Dunkin' Donuts. And in this very area, (laughs) there's a next gen Dunkin' coming. Okay. I don't know what that is. Explain to us what, explain to the listeners what a next gen Dunkin' Donuts is. Okay, real talk. I had to look it up too because I didn't know, but apparently the drive through line, it's only mobile orders. And inside, there's one of those machines where you can pull down and you can like make your coffee. You put your cup under it and it goes boom, 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 boom. It's like cold <laughs> No, for the fruit, audio. Nice coffee. That, that Elizabeth is making hand motions that you can't see, but she's. <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but you know, because they have um, a donut ATM. That would be amazing. Oh my gosh. Yes. Dunkin' Donuts, get on it. Next on gen, it. be there. Yes. Uh, Elizabeth, I will tell you though that um, 
Krispy Kreme is superior to Dunkin' Donuts. <gasps> That's a southern. Major Jamie, please. A southern also, thing. also, uh, <laughs> southern made donuts are superior to Krispy Kreme. So Man. we could have this discussion. That we got possibly. Shot. We got shots fired. I just want to be clear: the strawberry frosted with sprinkles Dunkin' Donut is supreme. I'll just yeah. I'll just leave it there. Listen, I will. Uh, my just uh, apt conversation. I was on disaster once. Um, down in Florida, we had a hurricane come through. And so I was driving Irma. around trying to help Irma. Thank you, Hurricane Irma. I was driving around trying to help out local core officers. You know, I was just driving city to city. So I had my daughters with me because the course school was canceled and everything. So I was like, I'm going to bring each core officer a box of donuts. That's what I'm going to do. This like, So I go to Dunkin' Donuts in every city. It was hilarious. And in every city that I drove to, I said, hey, can I get a dozen donuts? They said, yes, please know we don't have any boxes. There were no boxes at all because of like I think of the shipments yeah, because they couldn't just, get the shipments into the state or something. So they I like they were trying to hand me twelve donuts <laughs> like just in like a throw in all a the bag. donuts in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, they also randomly went to a Dunkin' Donuts one time and they were like, "Oh, we're out of donuts." <laughs> and my kids still talk about that. Like, how are you out of donuts? Your name is literally Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> all right, listen. Oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, but go ahead, they go have ahead. the Munchkins. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay. All right. That's true. Listen, we need to stop. We can't. We got to quit ragging on. We got to quit ragging on Dunkin' Donuts. We want them to sponsor. Hey, Duncan, if you're out there and you want to sponsor the show, we'll talk about how great your donuts are. I will say this: Dunkin' Donuts coffee is on is on the point. I love their. We get their ground their bag of ground coffee. Make it at home. It's good stuff. Legit. Yeah. How about, you? Game. How about you, Major Jamie? What's giving you joy? Uh, well, I said at the beginning of the episode, pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice is back. Uh, not just at Starbucks. It's back everywhere. While we were recording this, I got an alert on my phone about uh, Trader Joe's, all of Trader Joe's pumpkin products. I don't even know what they have, but it's really making <laughs> me want to go there and check it out. Uh, I am here for the pumpkin everything. I did when I went to the grocery store yesterday, I got the makings for pumpkin bread. I make a mean loaf of pumpkin bread. So that is going to be going down at my house. Yeah, she does. soon. Uh, so should, I, I love this time of year when a pumpkin, all the pumpkin. Should we do an episode of all the stuff that get pumpkin spice flavored this time of year? A pumpkin bracket. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, we could do that. That would be so fun. We could yes, do that. We should. A you always have bracket. that meme that's like that's not real, obviously, but like pumpkin spice laundry detergent, whatever, or pumpkin spice <laughs> Listen, bleach. <laughs> they're pumpkin spice and everything. Listeners, as you listen to this, uh, comment on the the social media feed or wherever you are about your favorite pumpkin spice product, or if there's a wild and crazy pumpkin spice product that you want us to try, uh, and we will. We will sample and make a bracket. Well, speaking of fall, the thing that's given me joy is um, I'm just it's a good college football. We talked about this last week and I don't want to bring it up again. But college game day on ESPN every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to noon, wherever you are in the country. It's one of my favorite things to do is to just be able on a Saturday morning when those are there available, because, you know, sometimes we're all working on Saturdays um, is to just wake up in the morning, grab a cup of coffee and a, a nice fall morning where the air is crisp and the leaves are falling and you just get to watch uh, football. College Game Day is one of my favorite shows, but you only get 12 episodes a year, really. Um, yep. so, and then we uh, we had the bucket list. It, this is one of those things that was on our bucket list and we got to mark it off. Uh, College Game Day came to Florida once when we were there. And so we were able to go. It was incredible. You got to see, you know, all the people that you see each week. Lee Corso, this was prior to the pandemic. So Lee Corso and Kirk Herbstreet and, you know, Tim Reese Tebow and, was there. 
Yes. The Gators. Matt, uh, because it was in Florida, Dan Mullen was there. Matt's a Florida Gator fan. So he got to shake, shake. We sl- high slapped five. five, slapped high five. And I've slapped never, and I've never coach. washed my hands since, which is probably <laughs> which a reason. Which is why we're in a pandemic. Coronavirus, yeah. <laughs> well, Matt, with that. Patient zero. With that, I'm going to end this episode with that in your mind. Um, that's going to end this episode of the Battle Line podcast. So be sure sh- to subscribe to Battle Line wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, also, check out our sister podcast, Fight for Good. What's up next on the docket for Fight for Good, uh, Major Jamie Elizabeth? I believe it's the great Jim Dennison episode is going to be hitting the airwaves. All right. Yes. So we just last, our last episode was about um, with Major Molly Schatzberger and her. Uh, experience. She worked the entire uh, 9-11 disaster response. Hey, what a she was seg- there for man, what nine a great, months. What a good segue into our episode. Yes. So you can kind of hear about what that looked like when, when you have a disaster on a major scale like that. So go listen to that episode and you can kind of hear her experiences serving for nine months as a uh, response to 9-11. Say her name again, please, so people can find that episode. Major Molly Schatzberg. All right. Uh, and also, just check out Peer website. You can find everything you need there at peermag.org or follow Peer on the socials at peer.magazine. Thanks for sticking with us. Remember, help out around disasters. Be, keep them in prayer. Until next time, this has been the Battle Line Podcast. Bye, everybody. Go eat some pumpkin. <laughs>